Hi, everyone, and welcome to Power Pivot, where we talk about power, community, leadership, and ethics. I'm your host, Leela Sinha. Today, I am so pleased to have Holly Hagerman here with me. She is the founder of AmpedUp.com, an online marketplace that connects musicians and venues in ways that cut booking time in half and is dedicated to transparency, equity, and fair pay. So you can see why I was interested in having her on. She is a Texas native and a two-time founder. Her first company was an award-winning B Corp certified boutique marketing agency serving socially conscious and environmentally friendly businesses. So she's been at this ethics thing a while. At Amped Up, together with her co-founder, Frédéric Roux, a musician and venue production professional, she brings digital marketing know-how, insider industry knowledge, and most importantly, passion to her work. Her goal is not just to reopen live music, but to reconstruct and democratize it. Welcome, Holly. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really delighted. I am so excited for our conversation. I was telling my assistant earlier that you've got this incredible business plan that you're just, you're, you're fixing such an important problem. And I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm delighted to begin to dig into it with you. So, um, so let's start with, uh, your own description of what your business does, because I want people to have context for when we start talking about why you're doing it. Well, first and foremost, it's a mission-based business, but at its core, we make booking live music easier for both sides, for musicians and for venues. Our platform is an online marketplace that connects musicians with actual paying venues and then streamlines the process on both sides so that it can reduce the risk make it easier, faster, build the relationships between the two um, so that we don't have uh, nagging details and missed connections and missed information um, that can tear the relationships down. Um, So our goal is to create something that is simple uh, and is transparent. And first and foremost, we make it easier for musicians to make a living and venues We want to increase equity for people of color, women, and LGBTQ communities in music. And we want to make any city a music city. And we support those three pillars of our mission by creating a steady stream of grants from the booking fee. So that's what we do at our core, and that's why we do it as well. Okay. So for those of us like me who understand examples better than we understand um, theoretical uh, explanations... I'm a musician and I want to use your service. How does it work? So what you would do is you would go on to AmpedUp.com, create your profile. uh, And then, well, on a lot of musician websites, as there are plenty of them out there, um, you then just sit and wait. You build a profile and you sit and wait until you're found. On AmpedUp, you don't have to do that. This is actually a tool that allows you to streamline your booking from the musician's side allowing them to build their career. So you can create that profile and then you can immediately jump into our venue search and tour routing tool uh, to either do a local search of venues or to do searches for venues in other locations that you want to tour to. So you can put points on a map and you can uh, receive thousands of uh, contacts for venues in those locations. Right now we're in Texas, Louisiana, Arkansas, Tennessee, and Oregon and Washington. Um, And so we have a contact database that's free. It's public. Our goal is to have the world's largest uh, free public database of contact information so that musicians can more easily route their tours. So they put points on a map. They get all of that contact information back based on the filters they put in for 
the venues they want to play in that will fit their audience and they start pitching. And even if the venues are not on our platform, because you know we're just starting out. So just in the last couple of weeks, have we started even communicating with the venues and trying to get them to join our platform. But we've designed this so that musicians don't have to wait. We have an enormous database, the most robust for our areas so far, um, so that they can start pitching exactly as they normally would via email, via phone, um, because they're going to get all of that contact information and can broker those deals directly themselves. And if they would like, they can then send them their booking link and say, book me on Amped Up. They'll get fast digital payments immediately after the show. uh, And they'll get a contract every time. They'll get um, all of the details, the advanced details of the show, the backline of the venue, um, all in their contract uh, for for easy viewing. Okay. So in short, If I'm a musician, I can go into AmpedUp.com, I can put in where I am or where I'm expecting to be, and I will get contact information for venues in those places, and then I can do my regular routine, just pitch them directly, and then if they say yes, I have the option, I don't have to, but I have the option of using your service to get the contract, to get the payment, to do the booking, and, um, and then you streamline that process for me. You got it. You nailed it. Awesome. Awesome. I, I am not a performing musician myself, but, um, you know, that, that old adage, don't date the drummer. I didn't date the drummer, but I did date the singer songwriter for a while. So I have some, (laughs) some sense of what that might be like. And from a venue's perspective, like, okay, I'm a venue owner and I have some empty spots. What can I do? So similar to the musicians, there's really two sides to this platform for both sides. One is the discovery. So they can actually go on there and find musicians right on our homepage. They can do that. And we have some really unique filters that don't exist anywhere else in the world. For example, because the musician has just gone in and put the points on the map of where they wanted to go and then received those venue contacts back, the venue can actually then search that through the back end and find all the musicians that are going to be touring in their area. So they can search local, they can search touring nearby. Uh, They can also search uh, in a way that can infuse a little bit more diversity if the musician self-identifies by certain historically marginalized communities. Um, They can also search by independent or agent represented um, uh, for their representation. So they can do all of these different searches, find the musicians, listen to their music and see all of the information, who's in their band, um, watch videos on how they perform live and make a decision. So that's the discovery element. But like the musicians, there's this whole streamlining side of things where there's a contract every time, the payments are handled digitally, the W-9s are handled by our system, they don't ever have to look at them again. Um, And so it's, it's very organized and easy. So if they choose to not discover musicians on our platform, they can allow musicians to pitch them by putting their profile link on their website and say, pitch us through Amped Up, and they can organize all of their pitches through there as well. Wow. Um, I I don't know about owning a venue, but I know that if I were, um, if, if such a tool existed for hiring contractors for my business, I'd be all over it. Um, <laughs> So this is this is a really kind of innovative approach, isn't it? Do you have a lot of competition? So it's it's a little bit of a complicated uh, response to that. In one sense, you could say yes, there's tons of competition. I mean, you know, you, you just 
can't walk five steps without tripping over another musician oriented website. The problem is, is or, or maybe the benefit is that none of them do even half of the things that we do. I actually created just for my team in the last month, I can't believe it took me so long, but I created one of those competitor charts uh, and I marked down all of the things that we do and then all the things that the competitors do in a, in a chart. And it's just this sea of red X's. There's only like, in fact, our greatest competitor is Google, Gmail and G Calendar. Those are our greatest competitors uh, because um, they do those two things very well. And that's really the one of the biggest jobs of booking. Um, but it's very hard to find any other website that allow you to actually broker a deal online, that allow you to actually get paid online. Um, they really mimic the old standards of, uh, you know, the, the grind and showing up and get getting paid in cash and waiting until 2 a.m. and talking to the bar manager after everybody's left to get your money or, you know, coming back, driving across town to get your check. So uh, so I would say that it is very difficult for us to find a direct competitor. Um, but there are uh, a few. Gig Salad, for example, does help you find musicians, but they don't allow professional industry professionals to to really broker deal. So for example, you can't be paid based on ticket sales. Um, and I'm not sure that you can even be paid online all of the time. It's not a requirement there. You can get paid in cash. Um, and uh, they don't have any of the streamlining tools. So it's it's not really our, our market. Um, but most importantly, they're really hefty subscription fees. So that's something, you know, we've just done a lot of deep listening, uh, hundreds of hours of deep listening. Um, and while I don't think anything we're doing is a surprise, I think it's kind of like putting wheels on luggage. Um, all you had to do was listen to the audience and and they would have told you exactly how to build what we've built. It's it's not a not a secret. It's it's actually it exists in all of the minds of all of the venues and musicians that we talk to. We just put it all together. You know, sometimes I think that that is the genius of a software company is to put it all together. Because so often somebody is sitting at their computer and going, why doesn't this program that everybody use do this thing that everybody needs? Exactly. Like the number of times I've gone into a, a Google tool, it's not like Google's underfunded. The number of times I've gone into a Google tool and been like, I need to do X. It must be able to do X and search their help forums. And it's been 10 years of people asking for them to please make it do X. And they just haven't chosen to make it a priority. Yes. Yeah. And that's the only thing I can think of because it's not like they can't afford the programmers, right? We're not talking about a little mom and pop shop. We're not talking about, although I will say that um, I've just discovered getdex.com and I am enthralled with Dex because it's a Rolodex. What's it called? It's called getdex, D-E-X.com. It's it, the name of the tool is Dex, but their URL is getdex. And I have just discovered them through a friend. She knew the founder and so she was like, you know, this is a, a new company, but they're doing something that's very basic and that nobody else is doing. Um, you know, it's one thing if you need a CRM where you need this giant, you know, pipeline sales tracking system. But what I needed was a Rolodex that had space for notes and updates and would connect with my calendar mm -hmm. because my entire business is based on relationships. And so out of nowhere comes this company that's making an online Rolodex. 
Perfect. Well, you know, it's funny, like you said, uh, a lot of this is just organizing. And I've always told my my mom and my friends that, you know, when I grow up and retire, I want to be a professional organizer. Like I just want to go into people's houses and organize their closets. And my parents are always like groaning when I come home because I'm like, you know what this kitchen needs? And it's a complete reorganization. And then they can't find anything. And they're grumbling right. for years about how they, they can't find that 30-year-old aspirin bottle. And so, uh, you know, I, I realized that what I'm doing now is actually the dream. Like, I'm just organizing information and systems and processes. So it's really a happy skill fit for me. You know, I, I am an unrepentant at this point, disorganized person. Like, I know where the stuff is that it is that's important, but everything else, it's going to take me a minute. If it's got a place, if everything had a place, that'd be great. But I'm always acquiring more stuff until I haven't got enough space for it. Uh, I just have too many balls in the air. So I'm really grateful for people who are doing what you're doing. Because if I were in the, the music performance business, I would be so relieved. I would be so relieved. Mm. And to have, you know, a single tool. Every time somebody comes out with a business tool, that's like, okay, we're putting everything in one place. I have to go research it. I have to take a look and see if it makes sense for me because the amount, you know, a lot of people talk about it as the neurodiversity tax. Like if you're, if you've got ADHD or if you're autistic, there are certain things that are harder to do. And so you just don't do them. And then you end up paying late fees. You end up, you know, getting fined, you end up getting a ticket on your car because you didn't renew your registration. Why? Eh, it fell off the edge of your plate. And so having anything, especially when you're dealing with contracts and, and making sure people get paid, like I, when I'm working with small businesses, especially, I mean, anybody, but especially small businesses, I want to make sure that they get paid. I want to make sure they get paid on time. And I want to make sure I'm working with businesses that are going to make the world a better place in some way. And this well, is you know, where you're... your business model is so interesting to me. Go ahead. Well, thank you. Well, you know, you keep talking about businesses and business tools. And and I think what's really interesting is as I started talking to more and more musicians, I realized that, that they are not necessarily using those words, but that's exactly what they want to be and what they want to do is they want to advance their career. And as I started using those words, like we, you know, we want to help grow your career. We want to help you, um, you know, take it to another professional level. Uh, we, you know, we believe that you can't grow as a business person if, unless you have this, like a contract and you understand the terms of the deal before you drive 30 minutes and, and set up your, your gear. Uh, and, and people started thanking me and being appreciative of um, just sort of the recognition that they are businesses and that they deserve proper business tools, not just uh, a gimmicky, flashy, brightly colored site. Um, you know, it's funny because most of the time as I, as I start searching for investors and we're, we're doing a funding round, um, so many of them ask me if I consider myself to be B2B or B2C. And I, I feel like, what kind of question is that? Of, of course, it's B2B. I, you know, we're not only are we're connecting two different business parties and, you know, we're business and they're business. There's no doubt in my mind it's a B2B model. And they're like, oh, well, it just kind of seems like it's B2C. And I heard that so many times from investors and other people because the entertainment world 
feels, you know, everybody can instantly connect to entertainment in their life. Whereas like healthcare, you know, that's just, it's, it's very clearly going to be B2B. It's dry. Maybe it doesn't have, maybe you've had some negative experiences with it, but with music, everybody can connect on a very human consumer level, but the people that we are serving they want they want to grow and they want to um, kind of tap into that business side and make things easier. And they want the business tools just like we want business tools uh, in any other industry. Yes. And I think that that's an interesting place to to start digging into this, the kind of ethical side of what you're doing, because because what's happening as I'm hearing you describe it. And I think that that's reflected in my own experience is that the musicians, the performers are, um, are themselves often struggling to see themselves not as hobbyists, but as businesses, at least at the beginning. And so that's a piece of it. But the bigger piece of it is that they are trying to be seen by the venues as businesses rather than as, as hobbyists and to get the respect that a business should get. You know, I, I actually don't think it's, I don't think it starts with the venues. I think it starts with society at large and how we treat people with a musical passion and the possibility that it can be a viable career uh, and a viable livelihood. And, and it is in many other parts of the world where you have more of a kind of a, a middle class of professional musician, whereas in America, it's really like feast or famine, like you're the Beyonce's of the world or you've hit it big or, you know, you're, you're a weekend warrior and you've got your day job. And and I think that other cultures around the world uh, just appreciate the place that music has and uh, those people's place as artists and the value that that brings to our society. And so, uh, you know, if they go to school to a conservatory or uh, for music in some way, uh, there's there's absolutely no concern or stigma around that. Um, and so, you know, I, I see that the venues do treat the musicians as professionals. Um, however, we have not equipped musicians with the professional training to understand that they have the right to understand the terms of the deal beforehand, that they have the right to negotiate, uh, that they have the right to ask for payment in certain um, in certain ways, you know, like by uh, PayPal or by credit card, not by check, not at two in the morning up front, give me a deposit. These are all things that they can do, but we don't have the proper infrastructure uh, and, and understanding to, to funnel musicians into that business training. And I think it's evidenced by all the technology as well is that, uh, you know, there's just a bunch of consumer facing sites. They are not SaaS tools, business tools. Uh, and, you know, when I do see the one or two that do provide serious data or analytics for musicians to grow their career and see how they're performing on social media and all these other things and, and kind of aggregate the data, they're always talking about, you know, how they need to make it fun and, and, and bright and, 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 beautiful and creative because they're working with creatives and they need to make it easier. Uh, and, and I think that that's wonderful, you know, because you, you, you do have um, kind of the left and, and right brain merging there. Um, but it's just to say that there aren't a lot of tools that focus on the business need and serve the musician and treat them as a business professional. 
even though they're showing up that way. And most of them uh, that I am talking with are are treating their career um, as you would any, you know, any sales job or any job that that you need to go out there, you need to hustle, you need to be organized, you have to have your spreadsheets, you need to maintain relationships, you need to do your networking, uh, you need to have your business cards, you need to have your, your release, you need to do your social media and your press relations. They're doing all of these things across a really large um, span of skills uh, and, and they're all self-learning it for the most part. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember the first time I've been, I started out in the coaching world and now I do, of course, more um, consulting and coaching kind of a mix. But when I started out in 2009, there were no business tools for coaches, none. Uh And I remember the first time somebody said, hey, yeah, I'm creating a tool that's going to pull together like the booking and the contract and the calendar. And I was like, tell me more. Right. Because before that, it was. It was me on my phone with Google Calendar. That was the only way you could book me because that was the only tool available. And of course, that's not the case anymore. So what you're doing is, I think, really important. And I think your point about the the arts, I would say, I would even say it's the arts in general, um, is well taken. That we in this country, in the United States especially, don't, um, don't respect the decision to make the arts uh, a career because we don't respect the arts the way we need to. Yeah. And, and that's a really kind of big and multi-pronged conversation. And I think part of it, um, you know, we, we as consumers must examine our consumption habits. So, for example, if you pay $10 a month for all-you-can-eat music, essentially, uh, you have to then wonder how are you compensating the people who are feeding you this constant creativity, um, and they're they're probably not getting compensated uh, appropriately based on the consumption that that we are doing, um, and so that feeds into as well that um, difficulty of elevating the musician and and the venue as well to these uh, these professionals at the professional level, and you know. Our, our, the third part of our mission is to make any city a music city. And within that is that if we can percolate music into every corner of America, which it is already there. I mean, I used to live on an Indian reservation and, uh, you know, they might not have had uh, lawyers or accountants or even a decent grocery store within 30 minutes, um, but they did have really great live music. They had several stages nearby. Uh, also had a, a really great medical facility, fortunately. Um, so, you know, I think that we underestimate where music is and, and how it fits into our lives. And now we just need to add a little bit more structure uh, to, to sort of rising tide floats all boats, um, spread that music inventory out and make sure that musicians have access to it, that they can, they can get into venues wherever they need to go uh, on the way, on the route to wherever they're headed next. So let's talk more about the ethics. Why, what is, why did you decide that this was important? Like, yes, there's a gap in the market and that's absolutely important, but, but why, I know that we talked a little bit when we, we talked before the interview about about the the equity piece, the the diversity piece. Can you talk a little bit about why that's so important to you? Hmm. Well, you know, it, it kind of goes back a few steps and sort of wondering where to start. So 
I started with this with my husband. We were originally planning to create a rehearsal studio space with a cafe and a bar like the one he'd grown up with in France. And we had been working on it for several years. I was working on the business plan when the whole world shut down for lockdown. And it was April 2nd, I remember, because it was my birthday and just turned over to midnight. And uh, I just kept thinking and thinking, it's not enough. It's not enough. It just... It feels like it falls flat. It'll be fine. I mean, by the time we get this thing launched, it'll be fine. People will be ready to go out again and all that. But it just doesn't seem like it's going to be helping enough people. And so uh, then I had this light bulb moment where I realized, you know, I have been in the position of a big talent buyer for various events for um, my previous company and always really had to do a lot of legwork to find musicians. And so the light bulb went off and I realized, hey, there's not really a good place to find them. So that's kind of the, the founding story. Now, how that relates to the diversity and equity piece is that I didn't know a lot about the industry because I'm not a musician, even though I'm married to a musician. And when I told him that, he said, oh, this is so needed. You know, musicians just really need help. And he started telling me all about his friends and the issues that they were having. Whereas I would just came at it from solving, you know, maybe my own problem of, of trying to find musicians. So I really had to do lots of deep listening and Fortunately for my previous business, that was something that uh, I had trained in. And so I sat and I listened and I, I called one person who I knew had a lot of creative people in her life and, and she connected me to some musicians. And then those people, they talked to me and I listened and they connected me to other people and I, they talked and I listened and um, you know, I just pummeled them with questions. And one of the things that I kept hearing over and over again between April and June-ish was this uh, sometimes overt and sometimes subtle racism and sexism that seemed to be pervasive for any of the people I spoke to that were not white males. And, and that really struck me. It made me, it made me really sad uh, because I knew that they just felt that they weren't really able to fully achieve their dream through no fault of their own. And then, of course, at that same time, there was the murder of George Floyd, which touched me deeply and changed my life and my understanding of my place in it and um, and how we all fit together. And at that point, I decided that this had to be a core function, not just a, a mission or a nice idea. It had to be embedded in the functionality and the leadership of the team. And so... Uh, first, I set out to make sure that we were providing financial opportunities to people of color, women, LGBTQ communities, um, so that we could start there, because I think that that uh, is one of the best places. Um, opportunities within your company? That's right. Yeah. To make sure that not only the, 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 the faces um, were uh, representative of this, but that the ideas inside those brains um, were, were bringing more diverse perspectives and so that, you know, others could see these people in a leadership position and uh, either, um, you know, feel inspired by that or start to create new normals. So that was part one of it. But part two of it was to ensure that it was embedded in the functionality. So in my previous studies in marketing uh, from my previous business, um, you know, I just consumed social science, social psychology studies. I loved that. And one of the studies that I read is, is pretty well known. 
is that when people, um, you're trying to get people to do behavior change for marketing or, or anything, could be for charity, um, they, they did three different steps. So first they gave out awareness, they, you know, they went door to door, they handed out educational information. The second is that they, uh, you know, it was for an electrical company, for example, they would show you your past usage and give you all the educational material. And then the third group, they would give them the educational material, show them their past usage, and then show their usage compared to their peers in the neighborhood, their neighbors. And the third group was the one that had a significantly greater behavior change. And so I took that and I said, I bet we could do the same thing with hiring practices because why is nobody doing this now? And I looked at the murder of George Floyd and I looked at, uh, you know, the, the exact same thing that had happened four years previously, you know, in broad lit daylight on video camera with a, a neck on a knee from an officer. And I thought, why didn't that one make a huge splash? There are certainly a lot of you know, sociopolitical things happening that are different now, but it was almost exactly the same. And it, it occurred to me that awareness is just not enough. And I didn't want us to get in the same old trap of trying to raise awareness and not change any behavior. So I felt like, let's try to change technology. So we're working on the design's as we speak, I spoke to my designer about it today. The designs have always been in my head and the functionality has been in place since day one. Um, and now we're trying to, to kind of pull that back in together, which is it will show venues who they're hiring uh, and how much they're paying and the frequency as well. And then show it compared to their peers based on those historically marginalized communities. Uh, so they could see, for example, okay, I'm paying men about 20% higher than I'm paying women so that they can have awareness about their own behavior change. And then they can look at the industry standard and say, oh man, you know, the rest of the industry is actually only like two percentage points difference. Like I'm, I'm pretty out of whack here uh, and, and then have an opportunity to change their behavior. So that's sort of where it came from and how it got implemented. That's so interesting to me because, because what it means is that I, I am a child of the eighties. I grew up in, in the really like my elementary and middle school years were entirely in the 1980s. And so I was hammered with the, you know, the D.A.R.E. program, the, the Just Say No to Drugs program, right? And all of that is based on peer pressure. And what you're talking about is really leveraging the subtle social mechanisms behind peer pressure. Because typically peer pressure doesn't come, you know, with a giant hammer and a big sign and neon. Peer pressure comes when we look around and everyone around us is doing something different from what we're doing. And of course, that's a really interesting conversation right now with masking. Um, but because, you know, in some places, like I live in the Bay Area, masking is still very normal. Most of the time, if you go out, you'll see people without masks, but you'll see people with masks. You'll see people, if you're walking outside, you'll see people with masks hanging off their wrists. Um, and if they go inside a crowded space, or if they go, if, even if they enter a crowded space outdoors, often they'll just pop that mask on their face. Nobody makes a big deal out of it. It's just normal. I have friends who live in Idaho. Let me tell you, that is not the story in Idaho. Mm -hmm. And and so this is this is a, a really um, interesting place for ethics because 
Um, because on the one hand, if they can see that they are dramatically out of line in a direction that they kind of know is ethically untenable, um, then it will encourage them to do better. Do you have any concerns that if they can see that everybody else is being terrible, that they will feel like, oh, I don't have to worry about doing the right thing? Oh, that is a really good question. I think that's something that we'll have to give some thought to. Uh, I think that there might be some room for us to impact that, to create notifications and to maybe add some alerts in. Um, we do have on the front side a little bit of a pull for them. Uh, so their information will be totally private. Uh, it won't be shared with anybody publicly. We will, of course, be able to aggregate that data on the back end. And I think that data is extremely powerful because you can't manage it if you can't measure it. And currently there is almost no data anywhere about diversity on the stage. And so we'll at least take that first step to understand what it looks like. And then we can put it out in front of people and say, women are getting paid 30% less or 40% less on the stage. This is unacceptable. And we can start to create awareness campaigns around that while uh, combining that with the data right in front of their eyes about what their usage is and, and what others' usage is, um, and then highlighting the changes. So maybe it's really terrible in one location, uh, and but we can highlight the pay equity has um, you know, has come five dollars closer to equal in the last month. And so we can highlight that and start to cheerlead people uh, and encourage them, um, gamify in a little bit of a, uh, in a way, in a sense, um, to, to maybe add a sense of belonging or competition to it. Um, so for example, if you reach certain standards, you will receive a badge on your profile. And so that's kind of the pull of this as well, uh, is that they'll get that badge on the public profile so that musicians can see that they are female friendly or uh, LGBTQ friendly uh, so that they know that they're welcome and that they're gonna be comfortable there. Uh, and so if that's important to that venue, then, then that might be something that would draw them in as well. So they can see that they're friendly and also maybe like a pay equity badge. Is that what you're, what you're envisioning? Exactly. This, this organization consistently um, pays equitably and presumably, hopefully people won't try and end run around that by, you know, paying through your system and then a little extra on the side for the people that they want to incentivize. Um, I don't think they would go through that much trouble, but it's so our, we're focusing on two elements. One is the pay equity and the second is the hiring frequency. So uh, making sure that they're being brought onto the stage as often as others and being paid equitably as well. Right. Because if you're not on the stage, you certainly aren't getting paid. <laughs> right. Yeah. It, it doesn't matter if you're getting paid the same, if you only get on there three times for every seven times that someone else does. Do you envision yourself facilitating relationship building in on either side of this or across even across that that fairly sizable gap between venue owners and and performers? Yes. And here's the reason why because as I said everything that we have built is simply a reflection of the listening that I did. And that's what people told us is that the relationship was the most important thing. It is the sole reason that they were in the business, uh, that they wanted to help 
musicians grow uh, and musicians know that being in good relationship with the venue uh, makes their job happy and enjoyable. Um, so the, the relationship has to sit at the center. And the way I've looked at it from the beginning is that what is causing poor relationships and what is causing negative power dynamics. And those are, those are two different things, really. The first is for the poor relationships. These are miscommunications. These are bookings that get double booked. They're, um, you know, information that gets lost. Someone that gets dropped off an email thread or they text them and then they actually started in an email chain somewhere else. So information gets lost. Our system prevents that from happening or at least reduces the likelihood significantly. So for example, um, one of our, one of my favorite musicians on the site who's been with us since the very beginning um, and he's a really dear person and a very good, hot up and coming musician um, really believes in what we're doing. He was telling me a story about how he was, uh, he's in a hot music town and uh, he had played in his hometown a few hours away a few weeks prior had a great show, sold it out, um, and then went back to where he was living in this hot music town and continued to play gigs and got a call one night where the music, the venue said, where are you? We have a line out the door and you're supposed to go on in 30 minutes. And he said, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't have anything on my schedule. I don't have any recollection of us talking about this. And I'm playing another show in half an hour. Um, and that relationship was ruined. And it was a really great venue in his hometown. Uh, and he also then let down fans as well. So that was a real catastrophe. And it was a simple scheduling error. Uh, and that relationship was ruined. So we have the opportunity to, to build relationships by reducing those nagging details and the details that gets, get missed that can, that can kill a relationship. Now, on the other side, you've got the power dynamics. Now, the interesting thing about the power dynamics is that musicians and venues have come together like never before throughout the pandemic in order to survive and seek out funding. So, you know, you have the Save Our Stages Act. Um, you've got Neva was formed um, and a lot of other musician aid organizations throughout the pandemic. And so they've really come together and they've gone through an extremely humbling couple of years together. Um, so I think that that's a really great basis to reconstruct and democratize live music. And so with that, the best way to equalize those power dynamics is through transparency and simplicity. And so just simply opening up calendars so both sides can see, hey, I've got this available, I've got this available. And then being willing to maybe have that hard conversation or message say, hey, you know, yeah, we do have that date available, but it's not really a great fit for your band's sound right now, or it's not your band isn't uh, at the level that we need it to be, or you don't have the draw that we need. And so uh, to, to be able to have those conversations, um, but it really starts with the transparency first. Also pay transparency. What am I going to get paid? I'm going to drive out here with five other people and set up all of this gear. and We're going to spend three to five hours of our time and probably get paid less than we want to get paid. But what is it that we're going to get paid if they get to the end of the night and it's significantly less than what they thought they were going to get paid, then you have damaged relationships again and you have power dynamics at play because the venue has total control over that. And the musician, the only power they really have is to walk away and not come back again. Um, so, uh, so those are some of the things we're trying to equalize. That makes a lot of sense. I'm thinking also about the ways I'm going back to this 
this peer pressure thing um, and the ways in which uh, venues having relationships with other venues that aren't purely competitive or um, musicians having relationships with other musicians that aren't purely competitive, but instead are collaborative so that, you know, a musician, and I know this happens in a lot of industries, musicians will tell other musicians, Hey, I had a terrible experience at that venue. I wouldn't book there if I were you or, or a, a venue sitting down with another venue and saying, okay, so we aren't even getting the opportunity to book black musicians because they're not coming to this town. <laughs> what are we going to do about that? You know, how are we going to make this a place where we can book this great act that we want to book, but the nearest they ever come on their tours is 300 miles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. the And that was, um, I didn't mention this, but in my interviews, uh, venues repeatedly told me that diversity was something they would like to improve on their stage and they didn't know how. So mm-hmm. um, the search function where you can actually prioritize uh, or, or sort for that, um, it's not going to eliminate other options, but it will allow you to infuse that into your search results a little bit more. Um, was a direct response to venues saying that that was important to them, but they didn't know uh, how to do it and they didn't have a, a function to make it happen. Mm-hmm. It'll be interesting to see how that works. I'm, I'm thinking about the parallels between that and um, the startup world where people are forever claiming that the problem is a pipeline problem. We can't, we can't hire more diversely because there's just nobody qualified and everybody is looking at them like, are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it, it is, it is interesting. Um, so for example, I went through great lengths to try to find um, people that were, you know, not just like me. Um, I put on every single job posting, women, people of color, LGBTQ communities, uh, applications welcome, um, and put in our mission. I posted it to women who code and, um, and also looking at the results of all of the uh, qualified applicants 80% of them were still white males. So, uh, or, or from India, there was also a lot of that in the coding world, but, um, but the, the majority of them were, were white males. So um, it is, a, it's an interesting issue. Um, and, uh, and one we have to tackle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. You know, I have some friends um, that graduated college with me who went directly into tech and have stayed in tech. And they've actually said that in the last 10 to 15 years, representation of women specifically in tech has gone down, that they have fewer female colleagues than they did when we graduated, which is fascinating. My, my, my college graduation, my 25th reunion just happened. So that's, I'm old, but, um, but it is interesting to me that, that the amount of, of trouble getting into and staying in the industry seems to have actually increased since then. Um, so what I'm curious about is what, what's your favorite thing about this, this project? You know, you, we've been talking for, for a while now and, and you, you have all this very um, carefully thought out stuff, but I'm an intensive. And so I want to hear what really brings you joy about this. Oh boy. There is just so much. And I know you're in the middle of a lot in your life right now. So I get it. But also, like, I know that there's a lot about this that lights you up and that just gets you excited. Well, 
my my initial response would be the diversity piece because I think it's truly unique and I've never seen any other place doing something like it. And it seems like an obvious answer to a very critical problem of the, the pay gap in in our nation for uh, for these historically marginalized communities. Do so you think I, this could become a model for other industries? Oh, absolutely. Like, do you think the tech industry could borrow your technology or your model or your view or something and improve their record? Yes, absolutely. So in fact, we have nine different features on our site that are patent pending right now. Uh, and that's one thing that I will never put guardrails around um, because as soon as I had the idea, I thought this needs to be shared. Um, so I'd like to share it with as many people as possible, even if that means, you know, creating a widget or or actually letting people copy the code. Um, I think that it is something that is really vital for the fabric of our society to change um, is to have a little bit of that structural help. Um, and again, that data, uh, because once we have the data, we can start to respond to it a lot more. So I think that the diversity piece is is one of the most exciting pieces of this for me um, in terms of the potential it could have to go into other industries and make change. Um, and it will be so quantifiable and trackable that we'll really be able to see the impact that it's having. Um, I think that the second piece would be the tour routing tool. Um, it is the it's like an entire site on its own and there's nothing like it that currently exists. Um, so I think that that would be the, the second most exciting piece on this site. If you imagine yourself, you know, this business five years, 10 years out and like Oprah level, like you get a car and you get a car kind of impact on not just the music industry, but but more more broadly than that, what's the biggest level of impact you can dream of for this business right now? I think the biggest level of impact in my mind that this business could have is that like Airbnb or Uber, that it would completely change how we think about accessing a certain element in our life and one that is in particular extremely important to our well-being, which is music and the arts. Getting a taxi, it definitely does improve your life if you're trying to get from point A to point B and, uh, you know, it's raining out. Um, but music has a way to, to transform communities and cultures and, and an experience and a memory. And so I would love if, if this tool allowed people to say, live music is completely accessible to me. I can just go on the site and find the, the live music that's the right fit for my venue, my event, my corporate event, my wedding, my birthday party, my kids party. Um, and, and so that we now create, and again, this goes back to the third part of our mission, which is to make any city a music city. So we start to percolate music through our life in a way that it was originally intended to be. I mean, when, when you go to other cultures, live music is a part of people's everyday life, or at least their weekly life. It's not necessarily an expensive thing that you have to be, a, you know, kind of like a, a foodie type person for food or like a, I don't know what the 
the equivalent would be for for music, a, a musicy kind of person, um, to to go out and have those connections. The original mission statement was to ensure that the soul fueling people connecting power of live sound can thrive, not just survive post pandemic. And those words to me really speak to what live music is because I never considered myself, you know, like a live music junkie. I don't know the names of all of the greatest bands or the indie bands or the niche bands. And I've never been one of those people. It's like, Oh, I knew that band back before they sold out or before they got everybody loved them. I just love music. And um, I always felt a little self-conscious about that. Like I, I wasn't really cool enough because I didn't know the names of bands. I didn't spend my last dollar going out to live music on the weekends. Um, But when you interact in other cultures, whether it's a tribe in Africa and they're, they're singing in the complete pitch black with their kids at night under the stars, or they um, or you're at a dinner party with four people uh, around a French dinner table and somebody breaks out a guitar and they just start playing and and then everybody's singing and dancing by the end of a four person dinner. Those things don't happen as often in America. And I think that they can. And I would like that to be the impact of this, that live music is really accessible uh, and and embedded in our culture uh, in a different way, in a way that is more natural to human beings. Um, you know, I am married to a musician and we've been married for 10 years and all, all of his friends, he even has, he has a lot of French musician friends where we live in America. And, and we still don't have the same level of break out your guitar, break out your music, start singing and dancing like we do when we are in France and we are not around professional musicians. And I think that that's a really interesting dichotomy uh, that I'd like to get to the bottom of. So that's the impact I uh, would be honored to say came from this business. I love that vision. I'm, I'm reminded of being in India with um, my father's family and we were all sitting around. It was my father's mother's hundred and I think it was her hundred and first birthday, right around then. And and the whole family was gathered, and it just sort of turned into a talent show. Like everybody had a thing that they did. They got up and danced for a half a song, or they danced and someone else played the drums and somebody else sang. And like that kind of thing is a thing that I don't experience here. Well. I want to say I did when I was embedded in folk music culture specifically, but not otherwise. Well, you know, the uh, story that really drove me at the beginning of this was was um, sort of a connection between a story from a venue that I was speaking with who had traveled internationally, toured in Europe. And I had told them that, you know, I'd gotten stuck in France and I was married to a French musician and all of that throughout the pandemic. And um And the story that really drove me was I was in Ireland with my mother and we were out in Dublin at a pub and there was a group of men of all different ages, just a lot more intergenerational. There was a guy, it must have been 80 years old, and he just stands up and he puts his arm in the air and he starts singing this Irish ballad 
And then all of the young men, they, they join in. I mean, and it was just so chilling to see the way they connected young and old and who knows what the occasion was, but I, it was so powerful and they were, there were no, uh, they were not shy or timid about sharing that with the rest of the bar. Uh, and I thought that is what I would love for my community. I'd love to be able to go out my door and go down to the local bar and have people break into song. Uh, and I mentioned that to a venue that I was speaking with and he had toured through Europe extensively. And he said, the culture is completely different around music there. It is much more like a family, even when you're professional music, going and playing at a professional venue. He said, they welcome you in. They offer you a sandwich as soon as you walk in the door. And, uh, and it's really just intertwined and interconnected. And um, I think that we have a lot of, of space that we could fill with something like that. It really is all about the relationship. Well, I, I know that we are short on time and I want to bring us to a close, but thank you again for taking the time, for spending the time um, to tell us about, about who you are and what you're doing and why you're doing it and how you're doing it. Because my hope is that with the interview episodes of this podcast, that we're really able to talk about who has the power and how to shift the power so that, so that more people um, more people can get their needs met, more people can get what they want, more people can get what they need, and there's more joy and pleasure in the world. That's, that's the bottom line goal of this whole entire enterprise. So if people want to, want to find you, want to um, engage with your work in some way, where, where can they find you? So first I would go to ampedup.com and that's A-M-P-T-U-P.com and fill out a profile. Right now we're focused in uh, the Austin and the three city area around that and then Portland and Seattle. But you can join and you can book a tour into those areas. And then when we come to your area, then, uh, then we'll be able to connect with you and you can be our VIP launch group for that area. Um, and then second would be on Instagram at uh, Amped Up Music uh, on Instagram or Facebook. You can join the conversation there. Excellent. Do you know where your next couple of launch cities are so people can start to get excited? Oh, great question. Um, so we're, we're started in Austin and then we're going to be moving out to Dallas, Houston, San Antonio, and then over towards New Orleans. And we're going to head up towards Nashville and up that Eastern seaboard. And then on the West coast side from Portland and Seattle, We'll start heading uh, kind of down and up. We might touch up to Vancouver, BC. We already have a musician there who's actually from Austin. Um, so we might take that opportunity to connect with that really cool town uh, and then travel all the way down the, the West Coast as well. Okay. All right. I guess the upper Midwest will just have to wait a little bit longer, um, but I'm sure you'll get there. Well, I will say that, that we will go where the people want us to go. So if there is a large group of people already in one area, then we'll prioritize that area because like you said, it's all about relationships and our community is the, the most important thing to us. So if we have people that are there ready to champion this and make it a reality, then we'll go there. So it sounds like if people are excited about you and what you're doing and your project and they are either a musician or a venue, they should go to your website and sign up already so that you can start to see those data points pop up. 
You bet. And and reach out to me as well. Just let me know and I'll I'll keep an eye out for it. Excellent. And we'll, of course, put all of the information in the show notes so folks can find it. Again, thank you so much for being here. It's been such a pleasure. I um, really appreciate your time and energy and, um, and inspiration. And uh, I look forward to seeing this blossom and bloom as it moves forward. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Lila. It was really a joy to talk with you. You always have such stimulating conversations, so I really enjoy where you take the conversation. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye. This has been Power Pivot, the podcast. I'm your host, Lila Sinha. Thank you for listening. I offer gratitude for the earth and sky and the support and care of many who cross my path. Our post-production assistance is provided by William Jameson, and you can find him at jamesonav.net. You can find more of me and my work, including leadership consulting and keynotes, at intensiveinstitute.com.